Hey, it's Thursday night, 8 o'clock. I think we're going to talk sports for a little while. We are in the Ozone. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe, brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. And by Going 406, you can swing for the fences over there. Ozone time with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. All right, Ronnie Ocean, Coach Joe. Here in the Ozone, we are taking names and kicking posteriors. And let me tell you, give us a call, 682-1430. Or if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. With us on the phone right now is my good friend Chris Martin. He's part of the UF Outreach, and he's involved with NIL. Chris, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie Ocean and Coach Joe. Thanks, guys. How are y'all doing tonight? Oh, man, we're glad to have you on. Chris, what is NIL? Yeah, NIL means name, image, and likeness. Um, basically, it came down uh, pike this year, 2020, where uh, student-athletes and universities are now allowed to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. And so everybody's been scrambling how to get it in front of these players, how to entice the players uh, to sign up with them as far as, uh, you know, you know, benefits, it's extra benefits. They, they get money, they get cars, they get, you know, all this, but now it's legal. We've all been hearing about this our whole lives about how, how kids get cars and stuff from, from universities, but now legally we found a way to do it. Well, Chris, what is the University of Florida specifically doing to benefit its athletes? Uh, well, this is not associated with the University of Florida. Um, we, by law, NIL uh, cannot be, uh, they can, they can back it, but they cannot physically do it. So, uh, these these uh, Gator fans, actually we're Gator fans uh, for Gator athletes, came up with a, a, a program called the Gator Collective. And uh, I don't know if you remember the name Eddie Rojas. He played Gator baseball back in the, yes. I say the late 80s. Um, great, great guy. Lives in Orlando. Uh, and another UF alumni named Jen Grosso, they started this uh, Gator Collective. And, and basically the Gator Collective is a situation where uh, – um, the Gator Collective is an organization that's focused on helping UF athletes in all sports um, build their brands and secure the NIL opportunities while connecting fans with their favorite athletes. So it's, the, the reality is, is that, that, that fans can pay a monthly fee uh, and get things like uh, event opportunities, uh, Zoom calls, uh, things like that from, from UF players. And in, in exchange, the UF players get money that the uh, fans donate. Well, that's a pretty good deal. Um, Chris, um, I know you're very knowledgeable about uh, college athletics and UF in general. What's your opinion of Billy Napier? You know, I, li- I love Coach. I tell you what, I've, I've done a lot of research on him. I actually have a, a former player who is on his uh, support staff, and, and I've gotten a little bit behind the scenes of Coach, and he is he's a super organized, real Southern gentleman. And, and as a football coach, there is nobody more organized in, in, in the country uh, than this guy. He's going to be super aggressive. I mean, obviously, we're seeing some of the hires that were, you know, he's going after Corey, Corey Raymond last night. Today, we, we got uh, Jamar Chaney back as a senior analyst from Mississippi State who was here, I think, in the urban years. Players love that. Um, and then there's rumors going on that we're going to have a, some, some great coaches coming on the next, you know, few months. Chris, if someone wanted to donate, how could they get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, basically the Gator, the GatorCollective.com is, is, is one way. Uh, you know, I can give my uh, my phone number and my email address if that's something. Sure, that, uh, go ahead. Someone would. I'd be I'd be happy to uh, 
to, to explain anything to them. And, um, you know, the legality of it and all that kind of stuff is not a problem. Um, my phone number is um, 423 area code 433-9018. Repeat that if you would. Sure. 423-433-9018. Oh, Chris, uh, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. The Gator Collective, uh, you know, I've been following it uh, on Twitter, and it does sound very exciting. I noticed Shannon Snell's gotten on board with that, and Coach Napier got right on board almost as soon as the plane landed. <laughs> I understand uh, uh, and yeah. uh, a lot of the players are are are, are getting involved in that, and, and it sounds like a really exciting thing that that's going on there. And it's the future, I guess. It's here now. It, we have an opportunity to catch. Our our motto is slay the elephant. Ronnie, you'll, you'll appreciate that. I mean, our goal is to get up there with, with Alabama and Georgia, and, and that's our motto. We want to get up there. Now, we legally cannot uh, entice recruits to come on, uh, you know, uh, with with us, but. When they enroll, they can be a part of the Gator Collective. So that kind of, you know, they know what's coming because they see the other players in front of them benefiting from it. Well, Chris, we really appreciate you being with us tonight. And um, we'll probably have you on in the future talk a little more about Billy Napier and uh, some of the behind-the-scenes things that are going on there. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. You know, the, the guys, the advisory board is, is made up of former Gators that, that uh, you know, Shannon Snell, Ben Troop, uh, Johnny Rutledge, uh, Major Wright, you know, all these guys that are, are just look, CI is one of them. They're just looking over all these contracts and, and really helping these kids out um, because, you know, it, 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 we're all Gators and we're helping Gators, and that's that's why we that's why we started it. Yes. Fantastic. CI and Shannon are good friends of the show, and we, and we appreciate you joining us, Chris, because uh, that's some great information. And, and like you said, this is the future, and we're, we're going to definitely be talking to you some more about this going forward. Gentlemen, I appreciate the time, and I'd be happy to come on anytime. All right, thank you. Chris Martin from UF Outreach. And uh, we're going to take a break. We get back, we're going to have Mike Huguenin talking recruiting. So, recruiting as they call it. You're listening to Ronnie Ocean and Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk 1430 and 96.7. Hello, I'm Dwight Stevenson, formerly of the Miami Dolphins and Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. Hey, these guys are everywhere. Talk Radio 96.7. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. Brought to you by Going 406 and by Allied Scrap Processors. The great Dwight Stevenson is one of the big names who's talked to us in in the past. And we've got another one tonight, right now on the show. Uh, Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to decide this year's national champion in college football, Ronnie. But what about next year's and the year after that and the year after that? Well, that's going to be decided in the next week. (laughs) Because December 15th is signing day, and if it's recruiting and you're not in uh, touch with On3.com, then you're not fully informed. But lucky for you, we have the managing editor of On3.com with us tonight to give us all the answers for who's going to win the national championship over the next four four to six years. Mike Huguenin. (laughs) Mike, we got to start right away with uh, this early signing period. It has changed the dynamics of when teams do things, especially with coaching changes. Oh, unquestionably. I think that's why you saw USC fire Clay Helton in September. Um, every school wants to get out ahead uh, of it because you want to have a coach in place when the early signing period starts. The, the fallacy, though, is while USC fired Clay Helton in September, they didn't hire a new coach until November. 
and that does not give you much time to establish relationships. And you talk to any coach in any sport, they talk about the, the key to recruiting being you got to have a good relationship with the player. And, you know, no offense to these coaches, you ain't building a good relationship in, in a week to ten days. I, I think an example is, is Lincoln Riley at USC. He has gotten a bunch of commitments at USC. Those are guys who decommitted from Oklahoma and now are going to play for him at USC. So, and, you know, another fallacy in recruiting is, you know, you're supposed to sign with the school and not the coach. That's ridiculous. And, you know, take that to, quote, unquote, real life. Um, you might want to work for a company, um, but if the guy or woman you're going to work for is not someone you want to work for, well, you ain't going to work for that company. So it's the same thing with choosing a school. I might like school A, but you know something? I don't like the head coach or I don't like my position coach, so I'm not going there. And relationships with coaches are vital, and that's why sometimes you got to laugh when you hear athletic directors talk about we've got to have a coach in place for signing day uh, before the early signing period starts so they can start developing those relationships. But, again, um, you can't do a heck of a lot in a week to ten days. What's happened in the last couple of weeks, Mike, is a little bit uh, twisted. Uh, you know, Teams are going after established coaches who yeah. have jobs. It happened <laughs> at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. It happened at Notre Dame with Brian Kelly. It's, and it happened at Oregon with Mario Cristobal, um, especially, that was especially twisted. Miami left their coach in place while they basically openly accorded uh, Cristobal. And You're right. it, yeah, that's, it, that's, I was, I was talking on, on another show and the, the host described it as, just like you have a fiancé and you tell her, okay, we're going to get married in two weeks, unless this other girl <laughs> that I have a yeah. eye on, unless she says yes, and if she doesn't say yes, we'll you know we'll go ahead and get married. But if she does say yes, then I'm gonna kick you to the curb. And you're right; it's Miami treated Manny Diaz abysmally. Um, it's rare that when a coach leaves somewhere, he takes the administration to task, and that's what Diaz did at UM. But the the irony there is there was no AD to get mad at. It was the, the school <laughs> administration, the higher ups. Um, and Miami is a weird situation. They hired a coach, and then they hired their AD. Though I will say, um, you know, Joe, you and I both grew up in Miami back in the day when no one cared about UM football at all. Um, and they've, as successful as they were through the 80s and 90s, they never really spent a lot of money on football. Uh, that has changed dramatically in the last six days. Um, they're paying Cristobal about $8 million bucks a year. Um, the, the supposed staff of assistants is going to make between 8 and $8.5 million, and they're paying the AD $1.5 million, which is basically almost double what he made at Clemson, Dan Radakovich. So Miami all of a sudden has decided to join the arms race uh, in a big way. Mike, Ronnie Ocean here. Uh, you know, it was sort of ironic, I guess, Manny Diaz sort of got that bitter medicine that he fed to Temple in his two-week tenure That's true, there. Too. That's an excellent point, yeah. And uh, I'm sure the people at Temple are going, uh-huh, karma's pretty rough stuff. Yeah, we it? don't feel too badly for you, Mr. Diaz. And, you know, the Temple job is open right now, though I don't think, <laughs> I don't think they'll be calling Diaz. But it is, I mean, you know, think about this, this coaching cycle. Lincoln Riley, who has been in the playoffs. Brian Kelly, who has played for two national titles, 
those guys left within two days of each other. Um, you know, it, you know, the Oklahoma coach gets poached by another school. The Notre Dame coach gets poached by another school. That that is sort of epitomizes this era of college football and how much it has changed even in the last three or four years. The transfer portal is gigantic. Um, the early signing period, I think we're in year six now, it has totally changed the way recruiting is done. Um, now you, you see, actually see some coaches saying, yes, early signing period is vital, but we want you to hold off until September, any, uh, until February anyway, because left unsaid is we want to look and see what's in the portal. Maybe we can get one or two one-year rentals that are, you know, <laughs> are going to truly help us this fall on the field. So um, a, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of wild stuff's going on in, in college football. You know, the NIL is another one. Quinn Ewers, the freshman quarterback at Ohio State, who did not play an important down this year at Ohio State. I think he saw action in two games. Um, made more than a million dollars at NIL, and he's hit the road and probably going to transfer to Texas or Texas A&M, where uh-huh. he conceivably <laughs> could make another million dollars. And last week, there was a booster group at Texas, that, or actually earlier this week, a booster group at Texas announced that starting in the fall of 2022, every scholarship offensive lineman at Texas is going to make $50,000 a year. My um, so college, college football, college sports has changed um, it's beyond beyond belief, frankly, how much it has changed in the last 18 months, really. No doubt. Mike, can you handicap the Oregon job for us? We've heard Chip Kelly, Solani Kataki, Brian Harson, Justin Wilcox are some of the names that have been thrown out there. Can you handicap that job for yeah, us? Yeah, the, the, the Chip Kelly thing is interesting. To me, that's basically Oregon saying, you know something, we don't think we can find a coach – who can do what Chip Kelly did here. And, yes, he left us high and dry, and, yes, he's a horrendous recruiter, but we're still going to hire him again to see if he can recapture the magic. <laughs> that does not seem like a smart play to me. I agree. Um, Justin Wilcox, um, you know, you, you, you look at what he's done at Cal, you're like, oh, my God, why are you hiring a coach with a losing record? But then you investigate a little further. That's a horrendous athletic department for a lot of reasons. Um, Wilcox is a former – Oregon assistant, he knows what's going on up there, and you talk to people in the business, he is a really good, frankly, extremely good defensive mind. He'd have to hire the right offensive coordinator. Um, but, you know, that's it's interesting. They've gone from Kelly to Helfrich to, to Taggart for one year to Cristobal, and then Cristobal uh, hears the siren call of home and goes home to UM. But to me, Oregon is maybe the second-best job on the West Coast because of the Nike ties and you look at some of the potential hires they make, and you're left sort of like shrugging your shoulders, like that's the best they can do. Uh, and again, if it, you know, I don't think Chip Kelly is going to work a second time around. Um, he is really a bad recruiter. He does not care about recruiting. And I think if you're a Florida fan, that sounds familiar because yes. <laughs> the coach you just got rid of was the exact same way. Everything's about scheme, uh, finding weaknesses, and taking advantage. Um, you know he's already in that league right now at UCLA, and UCLA this year went eight and four, and everybody's ecstatic. Um, you go eight and four at Oregon, they run you off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, Mike, you mentioned uh, Ewers go, uh, being open. He's leaving Ohio State, and he's looking for uh, possibly Texas A&M. Let me ask you about recruiting, specifically Texas A&M and LSU. Now, we know Alabama and Georgia, that seem to they haven't missed a beat. They're transitioning to this new way of, of, of life just fine, and they're, they're loading up as, as usual. But Texas A&M is sneaking up on them. Uh, what, which, are they going to end up with the number one class? Yeah, and, it, it appears that way. Excuse me, and they could have the best class of all time in terms of, excuse me, highly ranked, big time, big time guys on both offensive and defensive lines. Um, quarterback situation, I think you, if if you're Quinn Ewers, you look at it, and if you're, he's an extremely confident kid. I think he thinks I could go there and start, though he probably could do the same in Texas uh, if he's as good as people say he is. Um, and every recruit person I talk to says. That dude's the real thing, and you're like, well, then why didn't he beat out C.J. Stroud? And they're like, oh, Stroud's pretty good too. So, a lot of the recruiting stuff you got to take with a grain of salt. But you look at Texas A&M's class; um, it is an epically good class, and they're not done. Um, Jimbo Fisher is a good recruiter as a head coach, um, and he's got a staff of really high-level guys uh, on the recruiting trail. So this class. Um, it appears it's going to be the number one class in this cycle, and depending on who they finish with, it could be the highest-ranked class in the modern recruiting era, i.e., since all the you know since basically internet recruiting started. And, and uh, can, can Brian Kelly recruit at LSU? That's going to be an interesting thing. I think Brian. You know, let's get serious here. Les Miles. And Ed Orgeron won national titles at LSU. When those guys can't carry Brian Kelly's clipboard. The difference, um, they fit the culture at LSU. I mean, Orgeron's a Louisiana guy, um, and, and they loved Coach O there. Um, and they always had really great, great players. And even a guy like Orgeron and even a guy like Miles could coach in the national titles. Um, because the talent level was just immense. Um, Kelly is, a again, vastly better coach than those two guys, but you do sort of wonder about, okay, the talent acquisition aspect. Um, he lost his best recruiter, Corey Raymond, who's at Florida now. Um, that is a massive, massive loss. Not only is Raymond an extremely high-level recruiter, he's a really good defensive backs coach. Um, Kevin Falk, the, the running backs coach who, you, who played at LSU and started LSU, no longer on the staff either. So there is a, I think, in talking to people uh, who, who deal with recruiting, um, they're like, this is an interesting first week for Brian Kelly. Um, the two guys you thought he would do everything he could to keep are gone. And Falk was a good recruiter as well. So it's got, you know, again, I think Kelly is a really high level coach. Um, it, it's going to be interesting as he finishes his staff to see what kind of players LSU gets. So I will say also, if you, if, you know, LSU produces about 30 legit Power Five guys a year, um, and 20 of them grew up wanting to be LSU. <laughs> That's so, right. So unless you're incompetent on the recruiting trail, um, unless he has an incompetent staff, they're going to get good players every single year. No um, doubt about it. The question is how many of those good players does he get? Mike, you mentioned um, Corey Raymond and the importance of adding him to the Florida staff. It seems like Billy Napier really understands the importance of having those 
good recruiting assistance. And we've heard rumors that Tosh Lapoy, who had been at Alabama and Southern Cal and uh, Juwan Sider, might join the staff. What are you hearing on that front? Yeah, I think that th- those are certainly hot names on the message boards. So I will say that we, we got one guy who is really attuned to, to – um, the coaching changes, Matt Zenitz, who's broken a couple of big recruiting stories. I mean, big coaching stories. In fact, he was the one who broke the news that Raymond was going to Florida. Um, let's just say that the list that I've seen and heard about, that's not necessarily doesn't necessarily jibe with what some of the message board people are saying. Though you're right, Napier does value recruiting. Um, he's off, obviously off the saving tree, just like McElwain, just like Muschamp. Uh, and I think the, the one difference Napier has gotten Florida to realize we can't run this program like we did in 2008. got to spend money on support staff. Uh, we got to spend money on, more money on recruiting and the way we handle recruiting. We, we need more analysts. Um, we need more on-field and off-field analysts. So um, they're opening the football facility uh, next season. So there's a lot of changes going on at Florida. They're going to be spending more money uh, and hiring, I think Napier's term was, we're going to be hiring an army of off-field support staff, as many as 30 new people. Um, I mean, 30, 30 new jobs, rather. I'm sure he's going to basically clean house. So. Um, he has a plan. Um, I think from a recruiting standpoint, Florida is going to be much more uh, powerful on the recruiting trail again. Um, you know, maybe it doesn't show in the 2022 class again. He just got there, but they'll, they'll be heavy in the portal, and the 2023 class will be um, a pretty good example of what Florida fans can expect from Napier going forward because he will – he has hit the ground running um, in the 2023 class, obviously, because the 2022 class is going to be a little shy of talent. The 2023 class is massively important. Mike, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. Tell us about uh, how uh, people can access On3.com and yeah, on, uh, get all the recruiting news. Yeah, ON3.com. It is a, a new website where, you know, uh, the, t- the 247 in rivals mode um, – but we're a little bit different. we got national writers. Uh, Ivan Mazel is one. Matt Zenitz, Eric Prisble, I write. But the recruiting stuff, if, if you're a recruiting fan, the recruiting database, and it's not even finished yet, they keep adding stuff on a frank, seriously daily basis. It is incredible the amount of information that's there. Presented extremely, uh, it's easy to digest, easy to look at. Uh, and it's just it's a, a, just a ton of information um, going back. Told us, you know, we obviously we have a database, and it goes back to around 2002, I believe. But um, the, the, this class is an interesting one nationally because a lot of these guys weren't scouted in 2020 because a lot of them didn't play football in 2020. So I think there's going to end up being a lot of recruiting misses uh, in, in the 2022 signing class. Well, we're going to definitely keep an eye on that, and uh, we hope you can join us again in the fu- in the future uh, to uh, talk more about how some of the how some of this recruiting uh, played out. Uh, in the meantime, uh, real quick, uh, the on three dot com top five recruiting classes. I think right now, I think it's Texas A and M is number one. I think it's Georgia two, Alabama three, and I have to admit, I think I think Ohio State's four. I'm not sure who's five. 
It's it's the same. That's the thing. It's the it's the usual suspects in a way. Though A and M has made the biggest jump this year, and again, this could be the best recruiting class of the modern era, which is pretty impressive considering it's you know Ohio State has done well on the recruiting trail, Georgia, Alabama. This year, A and M's doing the best of all. Is does Brent Venables save Oklahoma? Yeah, I think he'll save the defensive aspect of their staff off uh, of their recruiting class. Rather offensively, it's. Lincoln Riley's offense was, man, that was a lot of eye candy to recruits, man. It was fun to play in. He's an offense-minded guy. Um, you talk to the players at Oklahoma, that, that, that they're like, oh, my God, this, this is a fantastic offense. Everybody gets a chance to do something. So they hired Jeff Levy, who used to be at UCF. He was off the Ole Miss staff. Um, not known as a rec- recruiter to the extent that Riley is, but – I think Venables will definitely salvage the Oklahoma defensive portion of their class. It will be interesting to see what they do offensively. Wow. Uh, Thanks, Mike. We really appreciate uh, you joining us tonight, and that's a a ton of great information. on on, gives us something to look forward to. Signing day is December 15th. Check out on3.com. That's on3.com for all the recruiting news. So you can be in the know because there's a lot going on out there. And uh, thanks for joining us, Mike, and helping to sort it out. Thanks a bunch. Thanks. That's uh, the great Mike Ugin in Avon3.com. And the talent just keeps on flowing here uh, at the Ozone because we have on the line uh, G. Allen Taylor of The Athletic who covers the Gators uh, beat. And uh, we've talked a lot about the national scene with Mike. And now, uh, Alan, uh, we really appreciate you joining us tonight here in the Ozone. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, this guy, uh, Billy Napier, right? <laughs> There you go. Yeah. There you it, go. it was an interesting re- recruiting process there uh, from Scott Strickland. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear all these names, and, of course, right around the time the Florida job came open uh, on that Sunday after the Missouri game, it wasn't much longer until uh, some guys we didn't think were going to be available were available, you know, Kelly at Notre Dame and Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. But by that point, um, I think Scott Strickland was at least aware that those two guys might be ready to move, but certainly nothing had happened on that end. And he had already zeroed in on Billy Napier uh, within 48 hours of letting Dan go in Florida. He was sitting in Lafayette at the Napier home on a Tuesday night in the living room, and Napier's wife was there and made snacks, and Billy was late getting home from practice. And the, the pitch for Scott to get in that house that night was, hey, I don't want to interview you. I just want to have a conversation and get to know you. And by the time he left that house that evening, he had basically told Billy, you know, I want this conversation to end with you uh, becoming Florida's head coach. And so we're going to try to make that happen. And, of course, uh, you know what, seven days later, he was named head coach and then spent a week coaching UL, which, you know, set back some recruiting stuff here. But um, I think there's something to be said for a coach leaving his old job, quote, unquote, the right way versus uh, what we think some other coaches do. <laughs> and, you know, Scott gave him that rope, and Billy really took it and won a championship, and so they're starting that relationship off on a good foot. You know, even though, again, it did, it did take a, a week away from building a staff and, uh, and doing some early signing period recruiting. Well, Alan, Ronnie Ocean here. Uh, I don't know if you even have this information yet, but the Gators recruit uh, got a commitment from a kid named Jamari Lyons, defensive tackle from Vieira. I didn't know if you had seen that or if you were familiar with that kid. Yeah, I think he was one that, you know, was on the list from the former staff because, you know, this new staff is being assembled so quickly. 
and Napier had been taking or said he was going to take his time and get to know these kids. I, I think what he's told a few of them was, look, we might want you, but if we want you, it's going to be in February because uh, we're going to need to have five, six, seven weeks to get to know you and evaluate you. And, you know, for some of these kids who wanted to sign in December, it was, well, we're going to look around. And so even the ones that decommitted aren't necessarily done with Florida, but certainly they're looking at the places. But Lions was one of those guys who uh, the former staff certainly had targeted. And, I, I, you know, I think he's one of the guys they liked. Now, you know, if they'd gotten a Walter Nolan-type player or a Brown Lodindy out of Lakeland maybe, maybe you don't get down to Jamari. But they certainly liked him, and he's not, he's not a bad take at all for the this program. You know, that is a good get for the Gators, Alan. Uh, the couple of uh, people going out the door or not coming seem to get a lot of attention right now, Nick Evers especially, because he seemed to uh, re- re- institute, uh, reinstate that he was going to stay, and then he had a conversation with Coach Napier, and the next thing you know, he's uh, decommitted. Now, uh, is that because the coach didn't want him, or he didn't like the coach, or will we ever really know? Well, I, I talked with his parents a couple times over the last couple of weeks and was really giving Nick some space because Nick, as you said, has been singing the same tune since the day he committed, which was, you know, let's get to Florida, let's build the best class available. I mean, he was set to enroll, you know, January 3rd. He was coming over. So, um, but they did have a, finally have a meeting. And as I think you might have seen, his dad put out a message today saying that he respects Coach Napier, thinks he's got a great plan, but he just he just wasn't feeling the chemistry right now. And again, uh, you know, the minute that he decommitted, oh, you offered. And even after Mullen got fired a few weeks ago, the first week that that happened, Texas and Notre Dame were, were contacting him and offering him at that point. So, you know, he had some options. Because when, when Florida got his commitment back in the spring, he was in the the 400 range. I mean, he was a you know a three-star quarterback, sort of seventh, eighth, ninth on their list. But you look at him now, and he's in the you know the top 200 because he did really well at the Elite 11. Didn't have a great senior season, but you know how it is in high school. You're stuck with the guys you're stuck with, right? And he really didn't have a very good supporting cast there um, in Flower Mound. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, the door isn't totally shut on him, but he apparently does have some other offers and. His high school stuff is all taken care of, and he's ready to enroll uh, spring semester if he if he gets the right option. Just I'm telling you, a great family and a great kid. And you know, sometimes when guys decommit or flip, it's because they're a little flighty or just never really were, were dialed in. That's not the case with him. He's a he's a great kid um, beyond whatever he can do on the field. His family's really thorough in how they went about it. And uh, and they really do appreciate Florida. So it, it'll be interesting to see where he winds up. And I, I would say there's probably a 5 to 10% chance he could still be Florida. But, you know, <laughs> those, those hearts aren't great as yeah. far as Nick Evers goes. Yeah, right. Well, there, there's always a, a shake-up when a new coach takes over. We, we've seen Jacob Copeland head to the transfer portal. Who else do you believe isn't going to last under a Billy Napier era? Anybody... And this is going to be a very vague answer. Anybody? It's a vague question. Says <laughs> <laughs> anybody who doesn't think that the way they conduct themselves off the field, or um, you know, even things like we we cited in the story last week about some of the, the excessive parking tickets that the team was incurring 
on purpose, like just saying it was, it was more convenient to pay the parking fines than it was to park where they were supposed to park. And some of that was coming out of their, um, you know, cost of attendance money. I mean, but they had it, and they were, they were writing off $1,000, $1,500 um, just because that was money that was given to them. And so they were just going right out the door for parking tickets under the stadium. But my, my point is anybody who doesn't embrace that culture and who doesn't get on board, I think this staff is going to be okay with saying, hey, maybe this place isn't for you, you know. Um, and that staff really has all the leverage. You want to be about the players, and you want to get those guys to trust you. But, you know, Billy's not inheriting a 10-2 and two team that was in competition for the SEC East. He's inherited a team that barely got in a bowl game. And, you know, some of that stuff that you heard from opposing coaches this year about the Gators think they're a little better than they are. Well, this year that made sense. And so, you know, the players are going to have to reprove themselves as well. And I think he's going to give them every chance to. But it, it's going to be a different a different, um, a different culture as far as, you know, how guys conduct themselves. Uh, and, again, I don't think there's a ton of bad apples on that team, but there's some, there's some lacks. Uh, <laughs> there's some slack in the rope that's going <laughs> yeah. to be tightened up a little bit. No doubt about it. I got a funny story for you. Uh, you're talking about parking on campus. When my daughter was up there, she was paying a parking ticket, and ahead of her was David Lee, the former basketball player, that played in the NBA, and he was really upset oh, yeah. that he had gotten a parking ticket, and he was arguing with the lady and said, you know, that he shouldn't, he's David Lee, and he shouldn't get a parking ticket. And the lady <laughs> said, well, I don't care who you are, you're going to pay the parking ticket. And he said, well, I'll just get a flying car. And the lady said, well, you'll still have to park it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, at, at 610, David stuck out, I would guess, in the parking ticket line, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure, exactly. Well, um, what can we expect out of Billy Napier? Um, is, is he going to get any kids in this recruiting class, or is this just going to be – pretty much tossed aside and looking ahead to 2023 as far as recruiting. Well, I, I, don't, I don't think it'll be tossed aside because when you consider the portal as well, you know, about a third of the roster can be can re, be remade this year, not just the 25 signing thing, but also, you know, there's NCAA relief on the transfer portal. So I think they could actually bring in uh, 29 or 30 because Truesdale, the defensive tackle, he counts forward to this year. Um, so I don't think that, you know, they're just going to, uh, you know, sign nine and let 20 scholarships at vacant. But, um, you know, the, the guys who are willing to wait until February, which, you know, in, in a way could help them as well, right? I mean, you want to know who the coaches are. They want to know who you are. Everything's being reevaluated. Um, it's a little bit, I would say, risky compared to what the norm is because usually guys roll in and say, hey, just give me 25 warm bodies. We'll coach them up. Let's see what we do. Sometimes when you do that, you might have 10 or 12 guys that just don't fit and you wind up not liking. And if you can't, quote, unquote, process them out, then you're stuck with them for five years. And if you do process them out, then you wasted your time taking them anyway. So um, so I appreciate the the methodology that Napier's using, even though I know it's not popular with the fans and it might set you back a little while. But the portal is loaded with people, loaded with talent guys that have already been at this level for at least a year. And, um, you know, and we'll see what all these assistants he's hiring who have Louisiana ties, if, uh, you know, with guys that they've actually seen before and guys that they thought they weren't going to get at Louisiana. But, you know, obviously Corey Raymond might have gotten some of those guys at LSU. Um, 
you know, you, you, you might wind up finding some guys from Louisiana that they are familiar with who they might be able to flip with LSU undergoing coaching change as well. Well, Alan, we really appreciate you, you joining us on the show, and the, we appreciate the coverage of The Athletic, which you can find at The Athletic on Twitter or uh, theathletic.com. G. Allen Taylor's on Twitter at G-A-L-L-A-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Uh, definitely worth following. Uh, you get all the, the great uh, Gator information. All the inside information comes from The Athletic. Let me just uh, leave you with this last question, uh, Alan. What is the most positive thing that Billy Napier's done so far in this first week? I think it's bringing in Corey Raymond. You know, the staff from UL, a little on the young side, uh, at least as far as Power 5 experience goes, but now you're bringing in a guy who recruited LSU secondary for the last seven years and did a really good job of it. Um, a guy who played in the NFL, and so when you sort of have that DBU battle of Florida versus LSU, well, you know, score one for Florida, at least on the the coaching ranks of this thing, um, because I believe that, you know, Brian Kelly, you know, probably wanted to keep Corey Raymond at LSU. So that's that's a big get. And, of course, in the vacuum of, of not getting recruits or, or recommitments right now in front of signing day, I would say that's that's the one that's coming along. And he's going to have to wait till January to get a couple of his coaches in because there's a couple on the NFL side that just need to uh, let the regular season play out before – I think they're announced, um, so that will also give them time, you know, what, five, six weeks from January to February signing day to uh, get those yeah. guys in and get them on the recruiting trail. Well, we'll definitely be checking back with you over the coming weeks because uh, this it has really been uh, a, a important week in Gator football, and what's going forward over the next few weeks are going to be a really important time to really set the tone for the future. and. Uh, we're going to be following you uh, and your coverage in The Athletic, and uh, we hope you can join us again soon because there will be a lot to talk about. My pleasure, guys. And if I don't talk to you before Christmas, you guys have a great one, all right? Hey, you Merry too, Christmas. and I hope uh, I hope your wife and your new baby are doing great. Oh, man, they're sitting right here. They're doing great. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's <that>. awesome. <laughs> hey, Alan, thanks so much for joining us in the Ozone. We really appreciate it. It's G. Allen Taylor of The Athletic uh, joining us here in the Ozone with great Gator coverage. And uh, you heard it here in the Ozone. And uh, you're going to get a chance to win $30 from the Lakeland Ale House coming up after the break. Ronnie O with Coach Joe in the Ozone on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hi, this is Burgess Owen, former University of Miami All-American and Super Bowl champion with the Oakland Raiders. You're listening to the Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. The Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the house and about to give away some food. I find that very appealing. The Ozone. With Ronnie O and Coach Joe brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors, turning scrap metal into cash. And by Going 406, where you can swing for the fence. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. I know your stomachs are growling. You can't wait. And we've got that $30 gift certificate to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. If you haven't won the last six months, here's how you can win that $30 gift certificate. All you have to do is call us at 682-1430. 682-1430, and give us the answer to our sports quiz, and you will go out there, and you'll have $30 to spend on eat and drink out there at the Ale House, located at 5650 South Florida Avenue, with over 40 strategically located television sets, and you can eat and drink on us. Yes, sir. All right, here we go. On this date back in 1935, Jay Berwanger became the first Heisman Trophy winner. 
we want to know what school he attended. Was it A, the University of Chicago, B, Southern California, or C, Notre Dame? Give us a call if you haven't won the last six months, 682-1430. That's 682-1430. You know, interestingly enough, Coach Joe, Jay Burwanger never played in the NFL. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. His rights were traded to the Chicago Bears, and he went head-to-head in negotiations with one Papa Bear Hallis. <laughs> he wanted $15,000. Papa Bear Hallis offered thirteen five, and Burwanger walked. Did not do it. He said later in life he wished he had done that. And the Heisman Trophy was a little different back then. He actually gave it to his Aunt Gussie. His Aunt Gussie used it as a doorstop. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great stuff. You know, I, fifteen thousand would have been a lot back back then. Thirteen thousand, fifteen thousand. But yeah, because even in the seventies, I remember that the uh, players for the Dolphins, who were the Super Bowl champs, they were lucky to make twenty. You know, they yeah. had to hold out for that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that that's an annual salary. Now they make that. Uh, <laughs> I think just for showing up to practice. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. We got somebody that's hungry and thirsty. Wayne, how are you tonight? Probably more thirsty than hungry. All right. Well, you take that $30, and you can spend it any way you want out there at the Ale House. And uh, we understand that they have a couple of adult beverages, if you should choose to do that. Um, Right down my alley. There you go. Wayne, where did Jay Burwanger go to college? Well, I don't have a clue, but I'm thinking Notre Dame. Oh, no. No, he actually beat out a guy at Notre Dame by the name of William Shakespeare. <laughs> Any relation to Stanley Shakespeare, the ex-Canes? Yeah, up there? Sure. <laughs> oh, man. No, All right, well. But you are eligible to call back if you want. So, Okay. You can call I back if you want. appreciate it, guys. All right. Okay, thanks. There thanks you go. Right. Only two All choices. Right, yeah. yeah it's, University uh, what, of Chicago. Or Southern Cal, Southern Cal or six, six eight two or Chicago, yeah. fourteen thirty. I yeah, you know, it's uh, we got a hungry and thirsty audience out there. I know I'm feeling like having some more of those wings. We, Ronnie and I were chowing down on them last Saturday at the Ale House, <laughs> and as we watched the championship games, we watched uh, Alabama win the SEC. We watched Cincinnati win the American Conference. Uh, the, those were on at the same time. We had screens set up right next to each other. It, perfect. I'm, I'm so glad that Eric is going to pay our gym memberships for a lifetime <laughs> because he made us go out there and eat all that food. I did not. Uh, I, I can happily report that Ronnie and I both got our workouts in today prior to the That's show. Right. <laughs> you know, Six, Ronnie had time to clean up. I was a little bit later. So. <laughs> 682-1430, and here's what we want to know. All right, I had three choices. Now it's down to two. You know it wasn't Notre Dame. On this date in 1935, Jay Burwanger won the first Heisman Trophy. Did he attend the University of Chicago? Did he attend Southern Cal? Now, think about this. Back in those days, all right, the Eagles drafted him. They traded him to the Chicago Bears. Maybe the Bears wanted him for local publicity. You never know. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't be unusual. You know, the the Dolphins wanted Steve Spurrier after he won the Heisman, but uh, a couple of spots before they were due to pick, uh, the 49ers snatched him up, and they settled for uh, the it's a guy who finished second in the Heisman that year. Yeah. I'll give you a clue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always wondered, had their careers been reversed, John Brody would have had Greasy on the bench, too, at, 
at San Francisco. He yeah, was but, so good. He yeah, finished as like the fifth leading passer all time. Well, you know, Greasy struggled for the first few years of his career, and people were ready to run him out of town. Don Shula came in and, and turned it around. I mean, during the 1970 season, you saw Greasy go from a guy who just ran around like crazy to an established great field general quarterback. And, and uh, uh, Don Shula helped with that, and then he became a champion. And he turned out to be really great. But Brody was great, too. Yeah, got, got a little bit of trivia for you. Here in Lakeland, we had uh, – well, let's go ahead and get our sports quiz winner. Now, I uh, guess uh, Eric's saying that we've got to end the show. We'll have to All do right. it off the air. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Ronnie O and Coach Joe.